0: Thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope that you enjoy the message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Galston Road, Hornsby Heights, Sydney, Australia.
1: Okay, so first we're reading in Romans, chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, Then we're turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 3 to verse 8. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth... As indeed, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do.
0: Wonderful. As Mark comes up, uh, young people, kids, youth, uh, uh, head out. Great to have so many young people, and when they clear out, it's not so great. Because that means they all sit down. You notice all the front seats are all all clear once they move out. So, you know, adults, you need to come down front. I think God's pretty much pleased with the way I live. Kind of like this poem, believers, I believe no more no less that I'm right and no one else confess. I I feel as I feel, think as I think, eat what I eat, drink what I drink, Look only as I look, do always as I do, for then and only then will I have fellowship with you. Apart from a couple of exceptions, like when I stuff up daily, uh, I think God is pretty well pleased with the way that I am, the way that I live, and how I define my Christianity. But there are others, you know, the others around where God is clearly displeased with them. You know those people... You know, like if I insert my taboo there, or you insert your taboo right there. Those people, maybe your taboo is that other Christians have taboos. I'm not quite sure. But let's not pretend every Christian has their conscious or subconscious conscious list that they have. But what happens when my list does not match up with your list? And Paul gives over to a whole chapter, and I think it's an actual application of the last chapter in Romans 13 where he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. And this chapter talks about how we're to love our neighbour. First, we can judge them. Kind of like playground ta- tactics where you can bully people and, and have your way, where you exclude others based upon their actions or their convictions. But I think what happens uh, in verses 3 to 13, Paul calls us to be mature and not judge people in their convictions, not to look down on others as unspiritual because they, unspiritual because they don't believe what you might believe in relation to disputable matters. Now, let's not go too far when we look at this because there are some core issues which we firmly hold and should hold. We have two types of relationship in in that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. You have a vertical relationship between you and God. And there are core issues and there are matters of conscience and there's matters of conviction that you have personally with God as you read the Bible you will come up to, with those conclusions, but we also have a horizontal relationship with other people, our neighbour. And what happens is that if we are judging, we are judging on a horizontal level, but also we're told in this passage, on a vertical level as well. Paul is saying that on that horizontal relationship in regards to disputable matters, now let's get this right. Because when Paul uses the example in chapter 14 of a disputable matter, it is to the core of a Jewish faith. We're talking food laws in the Jewish faith were not disputable matters to them. So he's actually transferred the disputable matter of a horizontal relationship of food laws, food sacrifice to idols, and said it's not so much vertical because Jesus has fulfilled all the law. Hold on to that. First of all, we need to refrain from judging. We're not to judge, pass judgment upon one another. The world's judgment. And it involves a few things, doesn't it? Judging it, criticizing people. I can't see how you can call yourself a Christian and do that thing, whatever that disputable matter might be, that one that you're really clear on, but they're not so clear on. The reality is that Many Christians are stricter than God. One of the most frustrating things that I have found in my life is that God blesses people that I disagree with. How can He do that? And not only does He bless people that I disagree with, in fact, He blesses the socks off people that I disagree with. God is way more merciful than I am. No criticising. No categorising, you know, we're Christians, we have labels, don't we? They're either liberal or they're fundamental or they're charismatic or they're whatever else they might be. This kind of schoolyard, us and them kind of attitude. Those who are in the top playground, they're okay. Those who are down the bottom, well, they're all, they believe all sorts of different things. I say the top playground because when I went to school, I, I was in the top playground. And those who were down the bottom were, well, that's down the bottom. They, they're the ones who went to ISCF. <laughs> they're the ones that, uh, that, that got dressed in regulated school, regulation school uniform and actually wore a tie. I wore a tie, but I wore it around my head. I wasn't uh, the great friend of many uh, teachers at our school. No conditions. No categorising, rather. No, no categorising of, uh, of people who do all sorts of things where we separate. That. No conditional codes which are not in the Bible. Now, this might blow your mind a little bit because we're certainly not like this, are we, where we would have uh, membership applications. And I don't know whether I put it online, but is there a membership application that's up there? No, because I probably didn't give it to you, so no, uh, no one from that. But there are some membership applications that have uh, certain clothes that you have to wear. There are membership applications where you have certain colours of nail polish that, state, uh, that that are stated that are appropriate for a uh, for the congregation, certain length of your hair, which I don't have to worry about, and even places where it, it, they have boycotting of certain companies, like Disney, for example. You can't look at Disney. Actual constitutional bylaws. They so can only put them in bylaws because they're not in the Bible, but will make them like the Bible. You have the statement of faith and you have the bylaws underneath it with all these conditions that have on there. We're not to have conditional codes. We're not to criticise. We're not to categorise. Basically, Paul says, speak when the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. Now, you may laugh and think, well, this can't possibly happen in a congregation. I think I've shared it before and I'll share it again, is that when I was younger, grew up, our church where, over in Guymear, Uh, was as packed as you could possibly get. In fact, if you didn't get there a half an hour beforehand, uh, which is absolutely unbelievable for Baptists, if you didn't get uh, half an hour there beforehand, you did not get a seat. It was packed. And there were rows and rows of extra chairs that were put down all the aisles so that people could sit. And then generally what would happen is all the rows of, uh, of chairs that went down the aisles were filled with the people who came in late. Now, if you live near the beach and the surf's hot, guess who's going to come in late? Surfers with sand all over their feet, with tank tops, board shorts on, often wet. How dare they do that? Come into the house of God with sand, with board shorts and with a tank top. They stopped the service one night and said, we can't have this anymore. And for the whole of the service, people argued backward and forward, on whether you could come in without any shoes on with board shorts and a tank top. Consequently, they were allowed to come in and a lot of people left the church, divided the church because they could not imagine people coming into the congregation like that. There are things between you and God and we've got to make sure that our, we're vertically solid We're solid with what we stand for with Jesus. But Paul calls us not to judge others who are also solid in their convictions as well. And that is called growing up, isn't it? We need to learn to be Christians in a world where everything is not black and white, but there is a grey world in some areas and we just have to accept it as being grey. But do we have a horizontal responsibility to others? And Paul says, yes. What do we do about disputable matters? And like I said, this disputable matter that he talks about is major. Food laws within the Jewish world is a major item of the law. And food sacrifice to idols was a, is a huge thing. And Paul says to the people who are in Romans that he's writing to remove any stumbling block that you might have from your friend. And as I said, it's interesting where it talks about a stumbling block about the food laws. And we need to understand what Paul's talking about here. Simply put, a stumbling block is inadvertently placing some kind of trip up or intentionally placing an obstacle which causes somebody to have doubts about their convictions. So some people have a vertical relationship between them and God, but they have all these bylaws that, that are attached to it all, and they're convicted about it. And if I was going to be a stumbling block to you, I would, something would happen where... I would cause you to question your deep conviction, in fact, so much so that you would actually not follow your deep conviction. And if that's the case, you are sinning because you were deeply convicted in your vertical relationship between you and God. That I would come in and trip you up. Therefore, in Romans 14, there's two groups. One, and they, group one, they had the hang ups, and that was they wanted to see the Jewish food laws kept. The regulations on drinking kept, the whole regulations on holidays kept, and their thoughts were probably due to those Jewish influences, that their convictions about the Jewish law, that they needed to keep all that. In the area of eating meat, Jews thought unclean food, food sacrificed to idols, made them unspiritual. It's a bit like this, there's over in the shopping market over there, there's this group of rocks, let's call it the Temple of Diana. And the Temple of Diana is just these rock, rocks that are all built up and everybody would come along from Barry's Butchers over there and buy their meat and put scotch fillet right at the foot of the rocks. And so you had these rocks just building up with all these prime scotch fillets sitting there. But me, I would go over there and uh, because you know, I wouldn't put anything there because it's just a group of rocks. But what would happen at the end of the day, people would go, well, there's all this scotch fillet. What are we going to do with it? Well, we're going to have a barbie. And we're going to go to the temple of Diana's butcher shop that got all the grade A beef and took it up there and sold it as a cut price. And, uh, and we're going to use it and we're going to buy it. And then I would go to the barbecue... Being a Christian and not having worshipped at the uh, rocks down at the local uh, fruit uh, market. Uh, And I would go to, and I would see the barbecue out there, and I'd have my rump steak that I'd bring along and whack it on the barbecue that you just about have to have new teeth to uh, eat it. And then right next to it was the grade A beef. And the grade A beef. My friend come along and said, why don't we have some of this scotch fillet? You go, well, no, the scotch fillet was sacrificed to an idol, and I can't eat what's sacrificed to an idol. But it's a bunch of rocks. It's not actually an idol. There's no such thing as other gods. There's only one god, full stop. So let's eat the meat. No, no, my conviction is that I can only eat this rump steak that's there. And my mate convinces me, because he gave me a taste of that scotch fillet that it's okay for me to, eat, me to eat scotch fillet. And yet I was so bent against eating that, what was sacrificed to the idols. See, the person, my mate, understood there is no such thing as other gods. There's only one God. And therefore, there's no such thing as meat sacrificed to an idol because there is no such thing as a, as a God connected to that idol. And it's okay for that person. So they have great freedom in Jesus But for me, I'm still back into those Jewish laws and for me to to compromise on my conviction is a sin. And what Paul is saying is the strong person, my friend, who recognises that there's great freedom in Jesus and the weak person, me, because I still am held under all these rules and regulations, that I'm not. If I'm over this side of the world, I'm not to be a stumbling block to my brother, even though they're weak, even though I could probably stand on my principles right here and argue my way biblically into great freedom in Jesus, instead I'm not to make my brother or sister stumble in their convictions because when they stumble in their convictions, they sin. And Paul says, if I do that. I also sin. This caused a problem in the early church because some Christians said, you can't go to the God's Diana uh, butcher shop, where other Christians that grouped here only had one hang up, and that was group one. Group two said, the strong, said meat is meat, and I don't care if, I, if it was Put in front of some statue or some bunch of rocks. I'm going to eat it no matter what. So you can imagine this cause of battle. And a battle, according to Paul, not worth fighting over. And if it's going to cause your brother and sin to go against their convictions, we're not to cause our brother to stumble and we're to instead show love to our neighbour. There's five components that kind of operate within that change of event. Firstly, it's this. The strong person, the person who found great freedom in Jesus, acts in a way that's permissible or even ethical but questionable questionable to others. The weak person who still understands their faith being under a set of rules and regulations observes the strong doing what they're doing, eating the grade A beef, but because they do not have a clear conscience, they indulge in it. Seeking freedom, the weak follows the strong's lead because the weak has not acted on their own convictions. They're wounded and they're grieved. And that's what 1 Corinthians talks about, that same grieving that they have in their heart as Jesus had, that word, when his disciples betrayed them. That same grieving that's described in the gospel that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're not just talking about, oh, they're disappointed. We're talking about they are grieving to the core. And the strong is informed, probably by the weak, that their responsibility for for their condition was based upon them convincing them that the grade A beef was worth eating. And all of these components are a stumbling block to others. Do we get it? From this we have two obligations. The weak is obligated to let the strong know how they're being affected. So in other words, over here, me, the one that's captivated by laws and rules and regulations, I need to be able to tell the other person how I'm affected. And truly to the core. And it's not just like I dislike it or, or you know, you're wearing that colour shirt and I really don't like that colour shirt. It's grieving to the core. It's a conviction that, that I have over here between me and God. And I'm being affected in such a way that I'm really grieving about you and what you're doing over this side. But what happens is this is that. The strong has an obligation, the strong over here has an obligation to curtail their freedom for that other person's sake. The problem that we have, though, is that do we go to the lowest common denominator all the time? Does that mean that if the weak person, if the strong person, goes and and doesn't eat that meat but becomes you know, a vegetarian, for example, or whatever it might be, does that mean that no one can ever exercise freedom in a particular area because somewhere, someone on this planet is going to take some offence to that issue or weaken in their convictions? The great rule of thumb is this, is that the strong person has to pursue peace. In fact, both people have to pursue Peace. Often personal differences obscure our vision of god's big goal, and God's big goal is this to provide to have harmony within his church that people will know we are Christians by our love. If we understand freedom in Christ, if we understand God's grace, if we understand that I'm not bound to any rules and regulations by, uh, imposed by humans, not by God, I am truly free to limit. My convictions, my my convictions, out of love for another. Do we get that? I spoke to this uh, this with um, the uh, at my SRE class. They might be my illustration for the next few weeks because it's just great conversations they had it. And I, I spoke to them about it, saying, "Okay, well, you've got some things that that come up in your life, and would you, what should you do if, if somebody?" had that. And I had it. I had the wearing clothes in church thing. I said, somebody come up and said to me that I want to invite you to my church, but my church has a dress code. Would you like to come along? And one guy said, well, what's the dress code? And I said, oh, you need to wear a suit and tie. You need to have your your shoes nice uh, nice and shined up. You need to be there. But your friend invited you along and they took a lot of guts for your friend to invite you along because they hadn't invited many people along to their church, probably because of the dress code. But I haven't done that. So, what would you do? One guy said, Well, I wouldn't go because I don't need to get dressed up and do anything. I said, Really? I said, But your friend invited you along. And then whew, the class just went nuts. And they're arguing back and forward. One person said, Well, you don't have to get dressed up to go to church. You don't have to get dressed up to any one person. Said, and, I, and this one quiet girl, she's a Korean girl, she switched on. I said, What would you do? She goes, I go along. I said, Well, how would you go along? Dressed like they wanted. I said, "Why would you do that?" Because I love them. Drop the mic, and uh, and every other person just went. Ah! And they all carried on, me. And it, was, it was a bit. It was a bit like um, you know uh, the the videos that we watch. It was amazing, and it's like that, isn't it? She would say, "Although I don't have to get dressed in any way, shape, or form, I will." so that I don't cause my brother to stumble. And I said, this is what would happen. I said, we're not talking about whether you go along or not. We're talking about if your friend said, well, I want you along so bad that I'll do what I don't think is right and get dressed casually and go to church just so you come along. Maybe Paul is what Paul meant to the Greek, I become a Greek to the strong I become strong the weak I become weak to end to the person so I might save anybody if it is possible as far as it depends on you be at peace with everybody we're told in chapter 12 in Romans sometimes it's just impossible some people will be upset no matter what you do that's for sure And if we're not careful, the whole question about whether something is acceptable or not is settled on the basis of the most narrow and prejudiced view of people in the church. But as far as it depends on us, we are to be at peace with all people. Pretty soon, if we're not careful, the gospel, the church will be identified with people who have the most narrow views. And we know that. And we have seen that. Does that mean we just change our view? We have a vertical relationship between us and God and we stick to what we're convicted with. And the things that are disputable matters. What we do is we love our neighbour. Sometimes that's difficult to do. One commentary put it this way. It is a good thing for people to indulge in their liberties. It makes those who are not free raise questions in their minds, especially when... you see that kind of indulgence is linked with a godly person who you admire. So it's not just somebody who's running amok. It's not just somebody who has convictions over here that just nowhere, they have no vertical relationship at all, so they just eat and do whatever they want to do. No, this person here is a godly person that wants to serve God. And that kind of freedom that, 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 that they express raises questions in their minds, especially when you see that kind of indulgence that's linked with a godly person. But Paul says, be careful and judge how far you're going. If what you're doing upsets people so much that it hardens them in their views, or even worse, encourages them to be unstable in their convictions, then it's counterproductive. Stop, because you're going too far. We need to resist judging, remove stumbling blocks, and really importantly, we need to focus what's important We need to major on the major, not major on the minors. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking or bare feet or long hair or sand on their feet or certain dresses or makeup. But the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace and the Holy Spirit. So verse 17 says, Therefore let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. If you're going to create a division by arguing hard for your rights or your freedom or by flaunting your liberty in the face of those who do not agree with it, then you are distorting the gospel itself. He actually uses the word you are blaspheming. You're causing that which is good, Paul says, the good news about Jesus to be blasphemed because you are making too much of an issue over minor things rather than the major things. Some time ago in Santa Cruz, they had a front page of the paper argument about a Christmas tree. It was an amazing thing. What happens is some people within the congregation thought that they should not have a Christmas tree because the celebration of some sort of pagan festivals and pagan traditions, and other people said it's a Christmas tree. We have a Christmas tree up here. We haven't got into an argument. Well, not yet, we don't, because we can't fit in there because of all the boxes. But uh, we will have a Christmas tree there. But I haven't yet had the argument on whether it's right or wrong, but this church did. And in fact, their argument was so strong that those who thought you shouldn't have a Christmas tree sued in a court of law those who thought you did have a Christmas tree. Front page of the paper. What is our world going to think about that? What would you do about that? Paul says it's utterly wrong to argue in that way. The main point of our Christian faith is not eating or drinking Christmas trees, dress codes, or any of the bylaws. The main point is righteousness and peace and joy and joy. In the Holy Spirit. Now I don't know what your disputable matter might be. I know over the years I've had several disputable matters. One person, you know, because you know I often open up my mouth and put my foot in it. Um, and uh, and I was at uh, a church when I first started, and a person was so gung ho that we used hymn books uh, that uh, not singing hymns, just actually used the particular hymn book uh, that this person was gung-ho about, and I said to them, I said, you realise the hymn book is not the Bible? Well, let me say, the little young youth minister at that time uh, got put in his place by the rector after the person left. See, we need to enjoy our liberty, but but only if we do so in a way that doesn't destroy peace. We need to resist trivial debate. We need to be more of an evangelist about Jesus and Jesus dying for us on the cross and rising again and living with you in the Holy Spirit in your life than we are about whether we should eat or drink something, whether we should have lasagna tonight or chicken. And by the way, we're having chicken. We need not separate ourselves on things about Jesus. What should we be focused on? Verse 2: Whatever you believe about these things, keep between you and yourself. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Let's keep the grey areas between you and the Lord. Let the debates be on what really matters. And God places a huge importance on us in u- unity and harmony within the church. In fact, God talks about the church. When he talks about the church, he talks about our unity more than anything else. Jesus prayed for the Father. Let them be one. If we're going to see that happen, then we need to learn how to be, have unity within our diversity. And I think that's a great part of the Baptist church and a great part of our church that we can be diversified in many things and we can have different of opinion in horizontal matters, heaps. And sometimes even those horizontal matters are vertical kind of convictions that happen within, uh, within uh, each people's lives and in a person's life. And some people may not like the Christmas tree. They might not like light lights up here. But here's what I want to give you an example. And uh, Tom, might it might be hard for you, Tom, in this. I'm going to finish with this. There was a person who was sitting down, I think, four rows back. Is that right? Four rows back every week. And every week, Marg would complain about that light, which is no longer there, shining in her eyes? Every week. Why do we have to have lights on the stage? Why do we have to have uh, things shining you know, up? It's like a Christmas tree. That light shining in my eyes and it was the light that was here that was facing across there about th- three rows or four rows back. Every, sing- every single week, Mark would tell me how that light's shining in her eyes every week. When Mark passed away, she left in her will the money to buy these lights. Isn't that the way it is? That in all of that disputable matter, Marg knew that that was just her and that whatever way the church is going to go and whatever the way that people thought that happened is not worth dividing this world over. So I got rid of that light And it doesn't shine on you anymore. But we also have all these lights and the lighting racks and everything else because of a very, very, very godly woman. I don't know what it is for you. I know that Paul wrote that not so that he would open up whether you're going to have scotch fillet or rump steak tonight on the barbie or whether we're going to have chicken or lasagna tonight for men's dinner. Or whether we're going to have pavlova for dessert, which we're not going to have, or whether we're going to have another great dessert that's going to be part of that with ice cream on it. By the way, if if you haven't signed up, you need to sign up. Not for the food, but for the speaker, of course. I don't know what your one is, but I know that it should never divide our congregation. And I know that... If you find liberty in Jesus and you feel as though that it doesn't really matter that someone has, whether someone has a set of rules and strict rules and regulations that I'm going to go and do what I believe I should do under God, that's great, but don't break fellowship with that other person. Stay in unity. Stay in love. We want to be known for love. But at the end of the day, we also don't want to have a church that is just strict in all its rules and regulations that nobody can walk in here not even feeling about it. Here's another godly example, and I'll finish with this. Is that at Toronto, there was a, uh, we often had um, a head of the gangs, the Toronto gangs, there was two major gangs that lived in Toronto, and if we don't think that they exist, well, they definitely exist. Uh, and a guy was uh, Tory, uh, and he uh, was head of the gangs in Toronto, and he used to come along to our youth group. And he would come into our youth group while there was about 30 sometimes people down on the front walkway yelling at him and abusing him about his ridiculous, about him coming to church and going to youth group and Tori would walk straight in and wouldn't care what other people were talking about. Tori became become a Christian. He came to our night service but Tory would wear his hat and would wear his hat in the way that he wanted to wear his hat. And there was a person who was on the front door, and they walked up to Tory, and they flicked, didn't say anything. They hit the brim of his hat, and it fell on the ground. Because you don't wear hats in church. And I almost waited for Tory to end this person's life. (laughs) And I said to Arthur who was on the door, isn't it great that Tory actually took the guts to come out this Sunday night to walk into church and God accepts him just the way that he is. And Arthur, after no doubt traumatising within his heart, picked up his hat, gave it to Tory, and said, I'm sorry. Tory walked in, wore his hat the whole night, was there nearly every Sunday night that we ever had church. And I think that if Arthur stuck to his guns, Tori would never walk in that place ever again. Let's pray that anyone who is here is welcome to come. And this is what happens. We have to ask the question what if they're wrong? What if this person who was eating meat sacrificed? What if they're wrong? What if this person who didn't eat meat? What if they're wrong? God is a big God. And the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and we are to pray that God will work on the hearts of us all, no matter what we believe, so that we would all be led by the Holy Spirit and do what we know to be right under God's eyes. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you that uh, uh, you write these very practical notes very practical applications within a, uh, a, a book of theology, a book of, uh, of doctrine. Right in the middle of it, you come up with this and really what it comes down to, Lord, is though he has firmly planted and established strong doctrinal positions that we would hold between us and yourself in a vertical way, that we have a relationship with each other and it needs to be a loving one and we need to take that step and step out in love to our neighbour. Help us to do that, Lord, while you work on our hearts, whether it's on either side, what it might be. But, Lord, work on our hearts in such a way that we see our neighbour through your eyes, the one who ate with sinners, didn't impose rules and regulations, but rather recognize that the Father, God, through you, through your spirit, would work on people's hearts so that ultimately we would give glory to God. And I pray for this in your name. Amen.